Welcome lovers of product. Today on Product Love, we have Peldi, the CEO of Balsamic. Peldi, why don't we kick this off by uh, you giving us a little overview on your background? Hi, well, thank you, Eric, for having me. It's an honor to be on this podcast. So I studied as a developer. I have a computer science degree, and that was my career for a long time. Grew up in Italy, where I'm from, and moved to San Francisco, first for school and then for work. And I worked at Macromedia, which then became Adobe, for almost seven years. And I was a developer, but I also wanted to become a product manager at some point. That wasn't in the cards at Adobe, so instead I quit and I started my own company instead where I get to be product manager and also everything else. So start with the important questions. Better food, San Francisco or where you live in Italy? <laughs> it depends. Uh, I think both are great. There's uh, a lot more variety in San Francisco. In Italy, I haven't been able to find good Thai food still. But I can't complain. The food here is quite amazing. So let's talk a little bit about Balsamic. Talk to me about the idea behind Balsamic and how you came up with it. So Balsamic makes a little low-fidelity wireframing tool. It used to be called Balsamic Mockups. Now it's called Balsamic Wireframes. And the idea came when talking to a product manager, a friend of mine, where I was a, you know, a colleague back at Adobe. She had these great ideas for user interfaces, but didn't have a way to express herself other than uh, just writing requirement documents. And that was just not very expressive. She clearly had great, clear ideas in her mind of what the UI would look like, but she didn't have a tool to do that with that was easy enough for non-technical people to use. And so I looked, I tried to help her find such a tool, and I couldn't find anything good, and I thought, hey, maybe this is something that I can build. And so that was the spark for Balsamic. Now, Balsamic's a really interesting company. No venture investment. You've been profitable more or less from the start. How has this approach to growth affected how you build the company? And talk to me a little bit what you like and don't like about it. Yes. So it's definitely a bootstrap operation. When I started, my dream was to start a one-person company forever. I wanted to be very much a little indie developer. And I thought that building a wireframing tool was a small enough product that I could do it on my own forever. And I was wrong. It kind of blew up in my face. And then uh, I was sort of forced to grow the company over and over and over. And now that we're 10 years old, we have 31 employees. So I'm trying to grow as slowly as possible still. But it does take a lot of people to serve our community properly. So being bootstrapped is wonderful because you don't have any bosses. You don't have anyone else setting the agenda for you. And we never had any debts. So, you know, not even the bank was our boss. We don't have quarterly meetings with investors or anything like that. So. It gives me, as the CEO, as much freedom uh, as possible. So that's been uh, something that I, I wouldn't uh, give up easily. What did I not like about it? I don't know. I mean, sometimes the investors are also good for advice. And I had a board of advisors at the beginning, but 
I quickly outgrew them. And uh, it's been hard to find advisors now because there's not a lot of people in our situation with a 10-year-old profitable company that doesn't want to grow uh, very fast. So it's hard to find uh, advice on the web, but also people to look up to and to follow. There's a few, though. I definitely have my pantheon of heroes. So who's in the pantheon of heroes? Well, I mean, uh, clearly there's the base camp guys. Then there is the MailChimp people, even though they grew quite a bit. There's a few companies like ours. There's Agile Bits. They make one password. They're about the same size as us. I look up to Natalina, Jill, and Chris uh, from uh, WildBit quite a bit. Then there's Emmy Hoy. You know, there's a few of us and we kind of all know each other now and we help each other out. But but there's not a, not a lot, not a lot of press, not a lot of advice, you know, that books or articles that we can look at. Most of the press is dominated by VC-backed startups because it's kind of part of the game. The press is into the big circus that is investing and uh, fast-growing unicorns, you know. Now, going back to that, you mentioned carving out something that was small enough. You talked about, you know, Balsamic as being a a market opportunity that was small enough that you were hoping could be a one-person company. Talk to me a little bit about why that's important in doing what you did, which is build, you know, a profitable, non-VC-backed company. Well, so my main motivation with Balsamic was not to build a successful business, but was to learn everything that was required to go from idea to development to marketing to selling to supporting and to maintaining a software product. At Adobe, I was a developer in this giant machine. There was, you know, there were large teams with a lot of different people doing different things for each product. And I was always curious about what do they do? What do people in legal do? You know what? And so I wanted to learn as much as I could. And the best way that I could think of to do that was to have a one-person company, so that the buck had to stop with me for every single thing. So that, you know, I would have to be forced to learn how to do it. So that was my primary motivation. And it still is my main motivation with this entrepreneurship journey is to really continually be challenged. And I like to find myself in the position where I have no idea how to tackle this next problem. And, uh, you know, I have to roll up my sleeve and start Googling and and researching and, and try to figure out how we're going to do this. That's still happening after 10 years. And so, so I, I love, I think being bootstrapped gives me the time to have these challenges without too much pressure, you know, going back to the fact that we don't have anyone breathing down our necks. So I'm able to learn at a, at a good pace and, you know, with my own priorities, I guess. Yeah, and it, it sounds like learning is what motivates you day in and day out. New challenges, new things to yeah. learn. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's been like that forever. You know, the, the reason I decided to start my own business was also because at work, after a career where I, I would get promoted every year, 
you know, my career started slowing down as it naturally does in a large organization. And I started teaching a lot more than I was learning. And uh, whenever I feel that way, that's very uncomfortable for me. I like teaching, but I like learning much more. <laughs> so were you ever tempted to raise venture capital and grow faster? No. <laughs> it's that simple. <laughs> <laughs> I can believe that. Yeah, I mean, uh, we were uh, very lucky to be profitable right away, and we've been profitable ever since. So we're raising our funds uh, the old-fashioned way from our customers. Now, do you think that works or could work for all companies or all markets? Where does it work and where doesn't it work? So I think it can work for a lot more people than the press or the conventional wisdom of Silicon Valley uh, would want you to believe. But it doesn't work for everybody. So, you know, if you're building any sort of marketplace where the winner takes all, you know, then you have to get there first. Or if you're building something that is very capital intensive, like if you want to build a startup that, you know, has those scooters that go around town or a big invent inventory of any kind, you know, you're going to need the money to buy all that stuff up front. And so that requires capital. You could either get it from a bank or you could get it from VCs. So in some cases, of course, you need outside capital. But in a lot of other cases, you could do it yourself. There's a ton of opportunity that might not be very sexy, but is also very low risk. I go to the conference called the Business of Software twice a year, and I meet people there, which are always very inspiring. I met this guy. Let me try to remember what he did. He built software for people who did inspections of water heaters, boilers. And that's it. They, these people have to inspect these boilers all the time, and nobody gave him any custom software ever. So he said, I'm going to build software just for you. And he's killing it, right? And he's a one-man band. He doesn't need outside funding. He just chose a niche that's completely underserved by the big players, but plenty big for his business. And there are millions of these. That's interesting. I mean, that should be inspiration for entrepreneurs out there that, that maybe, you know, don't want to get into the, you know, growth, 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 quick yeah. growth mode, right? Yeah. Another example I just uh, thought about, there's a, a company that makes software for people who build countertops for kitchens. And uh, this software helps them cut the marble so that there's minimal waste or helps them design the countertop. It helps them uh, do the accounting. And this is a company that's 10 years old, 20 people, worldwide leader, never needed any outside investment because, it, once again, they chose a small enough niche. But it's a, you know, it's a big market. Even uh, for them, it's a giant market. Interesting. So let's talk about what it's like to work at a company like Balsamic. Talk to me about the culture there. I've only had two jobs in my life. I've had Balsamic and before that I worked at Adobe, which is a big giant software company. So the culture is very different. Now, it seems like every company likes to think that their culture is very unique. So I don't know if they're all really unique, but Balsamic is... From what I hear from my employees that, you know, that I've worked in other places, Balsamic is a pretty special place to work. Maybe because we have all this freedom of, for instance, we don't really have deadlines unless we decide to give them 
you know, a few people like to have deadlines, so they ask for them. But in general, we care more about the pace of work rather than an artificially set deadline. That's pretty unique. You know, we have this love of learning. So everybody gets five hours a week for professional development where they just can study whatever they want to get good at. We also have five hours a week of exercise during working hours. But mostly, we sort of have assembled a a nice group of of just good people. I really love working uh, with my colleagues. They're just very honest, empathetic, caring, loving people. And, uh, And I'm sure that's not unique, but it's been great to see how with every new employee that comes in, the culture sort of continues and gets enriched and embraced. So I think that, you know, after 10 years of being in business, it might be time now to go around the room, so to speak, and see if we need to update our culture or, you know, or describe it, I guess. We've had a page in the handbook with our company values, and that hasn't been touched since the very beginning. But now that it's been a while, I think that we have a clearer idea of what makes Balsamic special. And, uh, and I think it's time to write it down. It seems like a good time in our history to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of having a conscious focus on culture and values. So what are the values at Balsamic? Well, I mean, hold on. I have them on the company page since uh, day one. That's one of the few things that hasn't changed. But basically, it's a lot about being human, being honest, and being a company that we would like to do business with ourselves. So transparent, inclusive, socially, environmentally conscious, being sort of a good citizen of the web, of the world. So, you know, we're, we like to think of ourselves as servant leaders and generous, you know, the, it's sort of the, I don't know if you, you get the sense more or less of what we want to be like. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's good. The other interesting thing you mentioned you talked about, you know, five hours a week for exercise, five hours a week for learning. How have you recently spent that five hours a week for learning? Oh, man. So the thing is, those five hours are, are there for the taking, but a lot of people don't actually take them because they say that they learn so much during their regular day-to-day work. You know, they don't feel the need to take extra time. And to me, that's a success, even though I do have to push some people to take the time. Especially, it's especially important for people who have reactive kind of jobs, like if you're in support or administration where you don't have very many projects to work on, you're mostly just, you know, responding to requests. For those people, I think it's very important to make an effort to take that time to study and, you know, and do something more creative, I guess. But let me see. For me, uh, what have I learned recently? I feel like I read... Every day I read a ton of stuff. I'm mostly lately studying Claire Liu from Know Your Company puts out. She she has a wonderful um, set of articles about company culture, management, self-management, how to give feedback, receive feedback, sort of that kind of people skills that I'm not, you know, as a programmer, they're, they're not... They're not my most natural skills, but as a CEO, they're more and more important. So, so that's, that's what I've been focused on lately. 
So we talked a good bit about company culture, but talk to me about your guiding principles for your product. What enable you to really build a product that customers love? Oh, that's interesting. So I don't think we've ever codified those. Maybe it's time we do, but for sure we want to build something that is extremely simple, right? And and that's extremely hard to do, <laughs> as you probably know. Simplicity comes from. Uh, it requires a lot of uh, effort and a lot of discipline. It means being very, very restrained when adding new features and, you know, adding them in the least visible way possible so that the user doesn't get overwhelmed with all the features. Complexity sneaks in all the time over time, and so it takes a lot of effort to keep that at bay. So that's definitely part of uh, how we build the new software, new features and stuff. In general, we have, I think our, a big reason for our success is the very tight feedback loop that we have with our customers. We involve them in the design process. We involve, you know, a lot of the best features came where ideas from our community. We have a very active uh, forum online where people uh, discuss and, you know, ask for new features and we discuss them together. And then we give them early access to builds so that they can test them. And so we iterate with the community extremely well. And I feel like that's key because we're too busy making the software. They use the software all the, much more than we do. <laughs> so they know it kind of better than we do. They, they use it all day, every day. We, we don't have time to do that. So. So that's another way that we deliver good software. And then I think another uh, principle is to really try to take it to 11 in a way, really try to make it not just good and solid and usable, but also fun or also you know lovable or pleasurable. So you can sprinkle little uh, things here and there that really make the difference. And I, I feel like that's, Again, really, really hard to do well, but like I said, it makes a big difference. Yeah, let's let's go a little deeper into that. Talk to me about your experiences designing features that invoke those feelings of joy or delight or right. love. Well, so I feel like the biggest gift that you can give to another person is to make them feel smart, right? So it's sort of, if you give them a little sort of inside joke, right? The feeling when you... You say, oh, I get it. I see what they're trying to do. I get it. I'm in, you know, I'm in the circle. So let's see. For instance, we have a feature in the help menu of our design tool that says, what should I make for dinner? And uh, if you click on it, it goes to a page on our website where we have 141 recipes and more added weekly for quick things that you can make for dinner. It's like a little YouTube videos two, three minutes each. And basically the idea there is that when you use our software all day, every day, you sort of lose track of time. You go into the zone and, and we understand that, right? Our, our, our customers told us that it happens all the time. And so if, if that happens to you, then it's five o'clock, you gotta go home and maybe make dinner. The hardest thing to choose is what to make, not actually the making part, is that there's too much choice. You never know what to make. And so that's where we come in. We understand that that's a problem for you. And so we solved it with this very non-software solution. 
And people just absolutely love that feature. We get so many mentions online for, for that simple little thing. It was very surprising. So again, you know, and they say that, that makes them feel like, oh, you totally get me. You understand that I just lost track of time, right? You, you understand how I use your software all day, every day. Another uh, thing that we do is we have a loading screen. When you first open a project, we preload everything. So then it, after that, it's very quick. But sometimes loading takes a few seconds. And so instead of just showing a loading bar, we show the loading bar and below it, we show an inspirational quote about user interface design from uh, some, you know, uh, we have uh, a few, a uh, couple hundreds that we randomly pick from. And it gives you a quote that inspires you just as you're getting ready to do design, right? So it turns a boring experience of just waiting into an inspiring experience. And again, very simple to do technically, and people just love it. People just say, oh my gosh, you totally understand me. Please, can you make your software slower so that I can read more quotes? <laughs> so these are a couple of examples of things that we did to kind of make our software a little more human, right? People tend to forget that there are people making software. Behind the software that they use, it's actually a group of humans making that software. We like to try and surface that in different ways. And, and I feel like people really appreciate that. It's still pretty uncommon. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think that's great. So talk to me about things you see coming up. Do you see any trends over the next couple of years that are going to affect how people build product and the craft of product management in general? Hmm, good question. I'd like to hear your opinion on this too, but I feel like more and more companies are working remotely across time zones. We've been doing that since the beginning, but I, I hear a lot of interest in that. It, it's becoming more and more normal. And that brings a, a set of challenges for product managers or for any other position, really. But I feel like product management, since it's so much about helping other people organize or setting priorities or communication is affected more by the remote work setup than, than possibly other jobs. And so for that, you know, more and more asynchronous online tools to do all the different product management jobs are required. We're already well on our way there. I mean, people use Basecamp, use Asana, even Balsamic Cloud for wireframing has real-time collaboration and commenting. So, you know, it, the tools are definitely there, but I don't know that they're quite optimized for uh, remote working uh, quite yet. So I feel like that that's a big trend that will affect product managers. What else, what else do you see? I mean, I, I definitely see remote. Remote's a challenge, not just for product, but for companies in general, as their employee base gets more and more distributed even at a, a smaller size. And it's particularly hard with large meetings, right? Where I think you have to call out your remote people specifically for comment because it's hard for them to kind of, you know, yeah. jump in there otherwise. I, I definitely see for product in, in specifically, I see a, a cloud, a set of products evolving. I, I feel like, you know, product management as a discipline is much younger than say sales or engineering or marketing. And I feel like the tool set there is lagged behind, but I, I feel like it's rapidly catching up. So I think there's going to be a solid 
you know, set of products for product managers moving forward where, you know, I was always asked as a marketing person, what's my marketing stack? When right. you asked a product manager this five years ago, they would often say very little. I think that's going to change a lot. And then finally, in kind of the big trends, I would say things like artificial intelligence and machine learning. I think that's going to be something that a lot of product managers are going to have to figure out. How does this fit with my product offering? You know, how can I use that to deliver, say, more insights uh, yeah. to my customers and help them out? And I, I think that's very, you know, solution specific, but I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities. And then overarching, like you mentioned, I think everything's moving to the cloud. So mentality changes, right? It's not yeah. licensed software anymore. You have to make sure you're always delivering reoccurring value to get that reoccurring revenue, right? Right, right. For sure. For sure. So speaking of favorite products, what are your favorite products or software products and why are they your favorite? Let's see. You know, I like uh, I like the kind of software where you sort of, again, get into a zone, lose track of time. There used to be this Mac text editor called Um Writer, Um, you know, the the Um from the the Buddhist, and it would make little uh, pebble sounds when you typed on the keyboard, and it would have this sort of soft background music, and and it was great for writing. So we added actually background music to our own product because, again, to to help people sort of get in the flow. So software that has these sort of features, I really like. But in general, really, I like software that kind of disappears. You know, it just works. There's services that we use, like Postmark, that we use for us, sending our uh, transactional emails from our app. You know, that just works. You know, you just, you forget about it. You just call the API and it gets delivered. There's never any problem with it. So that's one that I would like to mention. Another one that I've been liking for a while and I like even more recently is 1Password. I've used it for myself for many years. And again, it just works, right? You just have to install it and it solves. You never have to type a password again. It's fantastic. But recently we got it for our whole business. We standardized on it. And those guys do a really good job. Everything is exactly where I expect it to be. Very little usability issues. People picked it up in in no time. Now with the new MacBook Pro with the touch bar and the the fingerprint thing, you don't even have to type the 1Password password anymore. You just touch the little corner of your computer and voila. So it's kind of like magic. And those are those things where, you know, you wouldn't go back to anything else, right? If if you can figure out how to build a no going back after this technology, I feel like (laughs) you're in good shape. So I would say 1Password is my favorite right now. I like that. I'd know going back after this technology. Like once right. you start using it, there's no way you're going yeah. back to the old Yeah, way. there's no way I'm going to type a password like some kind of animal. So, I mean, that's a <laughs> that's great. <laughs> People who take passwords, they're like animals. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a great lead into the next question. You know, everybody wants to build these types of products, right? That you never go back from the products that people truly love. Do you have any other suggestions for the audience? Well, I think my main, you know, my main point is to try to always take a step back, you know, always, of course, talk to your users as much as possible so that you really understand them at a deeper level than your competition. But mostly take a step back because a lot of the times, maybe you can help them without software. Maybe you can help them in different ways, right? 
there's this concept of the total product. And, and the product is not just the bits, not just the code. It's also the documentation. It's also the support. It's also the webinars. It's also the tutorials. It's also your website. It's uh, your refund policy, right? All of these things go, your blog, you know, all of these things go into what the audience thinks is you, right? It, it goes into your brand. I always say that customer service is the new marketing, right? So really talk to your users and don't always default to, oh, we need to build a feature for this. Because maybe what you do need is to sponsor a conference that teaches that. You know, it could be completely different, but much more effective. So always, always sort of try to take the broader view. I think you'll be surprised at the great ideas and maybe even easier and cheaper than writing software ideas that you get. Yeah, I think there was a couple of great nuggets there. You know, the, the first one that product isn't just features, it's the whole experience. And then mm-hmm. the second one, that there's different ways to deliver on helping your clients get their jobs done. It doesn't necessarily always have to be a feature. It could be a different area that you help them out, whether it's through education, or documentation, right. or like you said, a conference or training. Yeah. yeah. So final question for you, Peldy, and I've greatly enjoyed this. Three words to describe yourself. Oh, man, I hate these questions. <laughs> I never know what to say. Human, I would say. Learning. And clueless. <laughs> well, thank you, Peldy. This has been awesome. Greatly enjoyed this. And uh, have a great one. Well, thank you so much, and good luck with everything. Thank you.